Has anyone here ever been a soldier fighting against the US? What was it like? My grandfather was conscripted to fight for the North Korean military during the Korean War. He was at the Battle of Incheon and he likened the dread that he felt to what one must feel when faced with a massive tidal wave that is about to engulf you and everyone you know. Couple this with the fact that many North Korean troops were told horror stories, that the American troops were cannibals for example, and that the average American Marine was much taller and more physically robust than the average North Korean soldier, you can imagine how scared he was. He said that the Chinese and North Korean units were absolutely obliterated and that they never stood a chance against the Marines. All his words, not mine. My uncle, who I'll be seeing in a week for Thanksgiving, was there. He's 86 now. He still will not talk about it. His kids did not know he was in Korea until they were in their mid to late 20s. I remember when I was little, he would mow the lawn without a shirt, and I could see the scars on his abdomen. When I asked about them, he said they were from having his appendix taken out. Clearly not the case as an adult looking back on it. To this day, he is a staunch pacifist. This is much akin to the horror stories told in Japan after America dropped the atomic bombs, that American troops were savages who were going to come into Japan and rape all the women. That is why there was such a high suicide rate in Japan in the months after the war. Terrifying stuff. This is true. My grandfather tells me stories about Korea. He's a US Marine. He tells me about how easy it was to just mow through any resistance ever. I condensed this part. The only thing he said that ever scared him over there was waking to an earthquake. I was just a seven-year-old kid when my parents were watching CNN slash BBC while I was playing video games. It was about some army jets taking off during the night. My dad turned to me and said something along the lines of, it's begun, get to the basement now. Sometime later, the first explosions could be heard. The NATO slash US bombing of Serbia in 99 had started. I remember spending time in the basement with other residents. I remember how the building shook when the bombs exploded. The fear of what was coming after the sirens went off. They destroyed all three bridges across the the Danube in my city, cutting us off from a part of our family. One day, a bomb hit the refinery so we couldn't stay in the basements anymore because of the CO2. Then, a bomb hit about 100 meters from our building and shrapnel went through the blinds and windows and embedded itself in the opposite wall of our neighbor's flat. That was when we decided to move somewhere else where the Americans had nothing to aim for, a smaller town. We were safer there, but we could still hear the jets flying above us and bombs going off in the distance. When someone shot down the F-117 stealth jet, it was a huge hell yeah moment for Serbia. That's my short story of surviving a war versus USA. Edit, I forgot to mention they were supposedly only bombing tactical targets. One of my professors was an undergrad in Serbia during the war. A major government building in Belgrade was hit and the whole house shook violently like an earthquake. It was a very old stone building that collapsed. It was crazy. Her and a professor of hers tried to spend the time, the university got bombed a few times, trying to make some rudimentary communication device that the Serbian soldiers could use. That's really crazy. Hopefully this won't get buried, but my hopes are not too high. My father was a sniper during the bombardment in Yugoslavia, and my best friend's father was a member of the elite unit called Tigers while the war in Kosovo was raging. I'll be short because I have to sleep, but my father told me it was like trying to repel a wave on the beach by building a castle out of sand. You fought, you may have won some small encounters, be it by accident or pure luck, but you always knew that if they wanted, they could just kill us all and be done with it. Not a nice time for Yugoslavia, that's for sure. I was in Kosovo during the war. My sister almost got killed by a Serbian sniper. That's crazy.
Like I said in another comment, that's how the KLA felt against the Serbian military. I don't think it was as bad as the US, but Serbia was fighting farmers with AK-47s. My dad was never with us and I was scared I would never see him again. Some of my cousins died fighting. Others never returned from prison camps. We would hear horrible stories about Serbian soldiers and how they were animals. When we were marching across the border into Macedonia, some of the soldiers would give us food and tell us that they were sorry for what we were going through. It was surreal and we didn't trust them. We actually threw the food away because we thought it was poisoned, even though we were starving. Now I realize that they were just trying to stop the suffering, I guess. Yugoslavia may have been bad, but it was nothing compared to time in Kosovo during the war. My great uncle fought on the German side of World War II. He fought all over the place. Africa, Italy, a small stint in Russia, and he defended France from the D-Day invasion. He was later able to move to the United States as a war refugee. He said that all of his officers would constantly tell him, when you're fighting the Americans, you must think of the least probable way they will attack you, because that will be the way that they attack you. He also said that when you were fighting Americans, more so than any other country's army he fought, you had to have eyes on the back of your head. Thank you for sharing. I always find it more than impressive to hear of soldiers who fought on more than one front in World War II. Sebastian Junger very briefly touches on this in War. He writes at length about how incredibly terrifying and physically transforming it is to be in combat for American soldiers. Given all that, Junger then asks one of the American soldiers what it must be like for a Taliban combatant to face off against an Apache helicopter, and the soldier pretty much just shudders. I remember watching a documentary where some Dutch, I think, journalist joins the Taliban to film what it's like for them for like three months. Can't recall the name at the moment. At one point, the unit he's with gets information that their commander's position has been compromised and has to move to another location. It's briefly mentioned that the Taliban are used to attacks by drones, etc. However, the commander is seen to be visibly worried because it might be an AC-130. Edit, the name of the documentary is Taliban Behind the Masks. Thanks to Admin Act for finding it. The part which I am talking about is at 20 23 minutes onward. From a combat tour in Afghanistan, I can definitely attest to that. When the Apache slash fast movers slash AC-130 gunships show up, all of a sudden, no one wants to play anymore. My great uncle was on the Italian side in World War II and was a captured POW to America. From what he told me, people wanted to be captured by the US. They were treated badly by their own and how great America was. In World War II, the Germans and some of our allies often commented on how chaotic the U.S. Army appeared to be. I believe the quote was, War is chaos and the American Army practices it on a daily basis. Other armies were slow, disciplined, methodical, etc. The perception was that Americans were unpredictable, undisciplined, but prone to ingenuity. Not just our generals, but right down to the grunt soldier level. I understand most who fought us viewed this as a strength. I remember reading an article a while back that one of the reasons Americans were so unpredictable to Europeans was the fact that they were one of the first national armies to use guerrilla tactics. And then we literally got a masterclass from fighting the various Indian wars. Gonna be buried, but oh well. My dad was an anti-aircraft gunner in Hanoi during the Vietnam War. He still wakes up screaming in the middle of the night. Quite often, really. My dad did basic training in Vietnam before he managed to escape. But as a kid, I remember him telling me stories about how messed up everything was during wartime. He was in his 20s when it was all going down. But he remembers walking through a field with his friends, and in a split second, several of them blew up from a landmine. Another story he told me that sticks with me to this day was when some of his friends were out drinking the night before they were supposed to enlist. Sitting around a table, completely hammered, singing songs, and trying to forget about the terrible things they may have to encounter, one of the friends dropped a grenade underneath and ended it all before the hell even began. 
I had the opportunity to be OPFOR pretend batteries for a spec ops raid one night recently. We all had basic roles to play to make sure the good guys got practice at typical scenarios, but we were allowed to do whatever we wanted within the confines of the role we were given. My role was to be a squirter from the main target building. When the raid rolled up, I was to fire off some rounds and bolt as fast as possible over a hilly area and take up cover in an adjacent building. Then, when and if they came to my building, try to light up as many good guys as possible before being shot. The blacked out hummers roll up and I unload my rounds. After emptying a mag, I bolt for the second building. I'm not usually a nervous type of person, but it was either the sprint or the fact that those hummers were really terrifying, but my heart rate didn't slow down after I'd stopped running. I remember thinking two things. First, how strange it was that I was so scared, since I knew we were using simunition and this was a war game. And second, that I knew for a fact I was going to die. I was outnumbered and outmatched. They had night vision and I was armed with a single AK-47. The sense of dread was really vivid, and I remember imagining noises and sights and kept playing out an operator sneaking up behind me in my mind. The next surprising thing was that when they rolled up to my building, they weren't sneaky or silent as I imagined in the books, just as before. Yet they also weren't yelling at each other like I had learned from cop shows when they clear rooms. They were all talking to each other in calm voices and using first names, relaying information about the current situation in a methodical manner. I had left a light at one corner of the building in hopes that I could spring a trap from the other. I turned the corner and unloaded a magazine as fast as possible at the parked Hummer, barely aiming. All I could think about is the 10 to 20 guns all silently hunting for the slightest movement. Then, and I'll never forget this, I saw the most eerie sight imaginable, a red dot, bigger than I'd picture or ever seen at the range, racing across the sand towards me. As I threw in a new mag and turned the other direction to check my six, I had just enough time to catch the second red dot repeating the first move as if they were synchronized divers. I've never been more impressed and mortified in my life. The next thing I felt was pretty surreal. In short, I was hit in the chest and in the back at the exact same moment by two operators rounding the sides of the building. I was on a corner. As I retreated from one side of the building to the other, fearing the first shooter, I ran directly into his counterpart. Their bullets, simulation, contacted me at approximately the same place on my chest and back. I listened to them clear the inside of the building. Those same cool methodical voices. First names. Nothing like what I imagined. Then they searched my dead body. They began to take off my mask, paintball type contraption, to ID my face. And the plastic was cutting into my eyebrow. So I reached up to help them take it off without hurting me. One of the operators standing watch over me almost shot me and politely asked me to inform them verbally of any other movements I would make. Anyway, to wrap this long story up, afterwards I met all the guys that were on the op. There were about 20 and they were all smart as hell. Many of them had gone to college and enlisted anyway in order to join spec ops. Several of them spoke multiple languages and none of them were what I imagined. They were all humble, completely professional and extremely thankful for us volunteers that they lit up. Basically, I don't know how it would feel to fight US soldiers with real ammo, and it made me pray I never will. It seemed pointless. Disclaimers, these guys weren't practicing with air support that night. It would have been even more terrifying with that on my mind. Also, a friend of mine who's an operator wasn't sure why they'd have red dots equipped while using night vision goggles. I have no idea, I just know what I saw. Maybe it was an intimidation factor? I don't know. It almost made me poop myself. You don't really wear night vision goggles to move around. Navigating stairs and other rough terrain, you want full field of view and true depth perception. Granted, I've only had really limited experience using them on exercises. Maybe special forces types wear them so much they can function with no depth perception and a tiny field of view. And the red dot's great for snap shooting with or without MVGs anyway. I'm military, but not in a trade that uses either of these. I just turn a screwdriver and explain to the guys who bring busted stuff in why using the radio to hammer tent pegs is a bad idea. 
While I cannot speak from experience, I'm an American, I can relay something my father mentioned to me a few years ago. He was a Marine during the conflict in Grenada, and he was also active during the first Gulf War. He has never gone into great detail about his combat history, and frankly, I wouldn't want to have him rewalk those moments. But he did mention one time how you can see a man's fear before you see him. Kind of cryptic, I know, but that one statement says a lot. He mentioned how you could hear them yelling and that the yells were not the confident kind. He meant that these men knew they were about to fight Americans and all their fancy toys and extreme training. They knew that the Marines were coming to kill them. My dad always told me that one of the greatest weapons our military has is the image that we conjure in the minds of our enemies. While it is one thing to fight someone who you feel is an equal or lesser match to you, it's a completely different scenario to fight someone who you truly feel is a monstrous force of war. I can't speak for the other branches strictly because I don't have a close personal relationship with someone who's enlisted and I have never enlisted. However, I can tell you that my father and all of his marine buddies are absolutely vicious if prodded in an aggressive situation. In Grenada, the Marines were only supposed to take the top 10% of the island and the army the rest. The Marines landed and began their attack. At the end, the Marines held about 90% of the island and the army the rest. The Op 4 were fleeing from the Marines to fight the army. I'm actually former US Army. I spent an entire summer serving as an Op 4 opposing force at one of the Army elite training centers. Basically, I fought US soldiers in a giant simulation. I'd actually agreed to some extent with the pushover comments for some units. The US Army is just so damn massive, some units certainly will look completely incompetent. Also, outside of a few SOF units and light infantry, there isn't a whole lot of emphasis placed on toughness. However, combat arms units are no joke. We have the best, most expensive training in the world, and by far the best equipment. I would not want to be on the other team. Chances are I'd be dead before I even saw an American soldier. My great-grandfather talked to me about being a Canadian in World War II. When a Canadian plane flew overhead, the Germans dove for cover. When a German plane flew overhead, the Canadians dove for cover. When an American plane flew overhead, everybody dove for cover. This will probably be buried, but my great-uncle fought for the Germans in the Battle of Normandy. He said that they were told that the Allies were being pushed back into the sea and that any Allies they saw were most likely small units that had slipped by. A few days later, my great-uncle woke up to find a regiment of Americans camped within sight of the farmhouse they were in. Him and his squad surrendered. I have a girlfriend from Iraq who had brothers in the Iraq army. They defected pretty quick and live here now, but they tell me how insane the American arsenal was. While Iraq soldiers' main method of transport was pickup trucks, motorbikes, and bicycles, the Americans were transporting people in armored personnel carriers that were impossible to damage. Also tells me that the quality of training was noticeable as you would never see the Americans, you would just be shot because they knew how to move from cover to cover and remain undetected. Her brothers never killed anyone. They defected once troops entered the country. They were only 16 at the time. Yeah, this is the closest I've got to an answer. My family is Panamanian. Being a civilian in a country invaded by US troops is terrifying. Tanks stopped in front of my grandma's house and started firing over it. My cousins were all really young when it happened and they were absolutely terrified. Unfortunately, I don't have access to someone who may have fought for the dictator at the time that the US was ousting. From Iraq here, my father fought on the defensive lines in Iraq during the Gulf War, when the West forces entered Iraq. He said it was very scary to have planes fly over. You do not see them when they're coming because they're very fast, so damage and death happens with no warning. Planes were followed by soldiers, but he did not get close to them. He said everyone knew the fighting was pointless because Saddam was not a good leader, and he thought he was. Saddam thought he could fight back, but UN had better leaders and more tools. My father told me it was like fighting a bad disease because you don't know what you're fighting and you don't know how to fight it. 
not the enemy, but was in communications and we would get intel from counter intel guys from intercepted cell phone calls. Talibans would be scared out of their minds when it came to engaging Marines. One report that I remember well was a commander ordering guys to engage in firefights because they wanted to do a show of force. The guy he was ordering gave a million excuses and was scared of the new Marines because they thought they were special forces. We had a bunch of new gear, chest rings, radios, and thermals. They ended up engaging a patrol later that week. We killed most of their cell that day. My great uncle flew A6M0 Zeke fighter aircraft for the Japanese Imperial Navy. He survived one attack on an American carrier task force but was wounded and relegated to light duty in China. He described the first time seeing the US fleet circa 1944 as both awe-inspiring and extremely disheartening. Simply the futility of trying to fight the US. I actually gave a talk on this topic today. Not just the US, but basically on the losing side, I suppose I'd sum it up. The winners write history. I guess the end result of facing an army like the US, a technological monster, is you're not going to be the one writing that history book. Currently in Berlin, and I just get my group, Australia, US, Canada, etc., to imagine no war memorials in their town, no Veterans Day, no Anzac Day, no parades, no walls listing the dead, and then I remind them for a large portion of soldiers here during World War I and II, it wasn't they were evil. It was they were, in their minds, fighting for their home the same as our grandfathers and great-grandfathers. We get to remember our dead soldiers, to raise them up as heroes. Those that lose don't. It's a strange but powerful thing to be allowed to remember.